Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim knows that every veterinary professional in practice has a wide variety of needs. That's why our Equine Veterinary Technical Solutions team, our VETS team, is here to provide education, product, and veterinary expertise, exceptional customer care, and regulatory stewardships. Our mission is to lead our veterinary community in technical knowledge and build a long-lasting relationship with our customers. To get in contact with one of our team members, please call us at 888-637-4251. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AEP Practice Life Podcast brought to us, as always, by Beringer M. Goheim. I am Mike Pownall, and I am joined by a really exciting panel. Let me sort of frame up what we're talking about so you can understand why I invited who I invited. We want to talk about uh, veterinarians, veterinary practice owners, veterinary students, young associates. What do you look for when you're hiring advisors, whether it's a business advisor, whether it's an accountant, whether it's a bookkeeper? a lawyer, recruiter. Let's talk about that because more and more we're seeing veterinary practices use them or uh, unfortunately, hopefully we'll get into this too, they have them and maybe they're not the best fit for them. Kind of like us as veterinarians, you know, ask me to do repro on a horse, bad idea. I have the license. Theoretically, I know how to do it. You don't want me near there. So let's introduce the panel. Joined again, a frequent uh, guest on this podcast, Dr. Amy Grace. Welcome, Amy. Nice to see you again, Mike. As always, also would like to welcome uh, Dr. Bob Magnus. Hi, Bob. Hi. Welcome, everybody. Nice to be uh, joining the crew. And a new guest on the AP Practice Life podcast is uh, Katie Arline. And I will say Katie and I have a relationship. She's worked with me at the key panel, my own business for many years, and we work together in another business in Canada. So welcome, Katie. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here. So again, I just want to uh, thank Beringer uh, Engelheim for allowing us this opportunity to have this discussion about this topic. So let's start uh, because I think particularly Amy and Bob, you know, you also work as general business management advisors. So let's talk about, you know, a practice owner or somebody is thinking they need some advisors, uh, whether it could be a practice manager. What are some of the things they need to consider when looking for a business advisor? And we can also talk about what are some of the red flags when they're evaluating people. So, Amy, let's let's start with you, and maybe we'll just this will be more of a focus with Bob and Amy on this particular group. Well, I think it's really important that anyone that you seek out as a professional advisor has some uh, either knowledge beforehand of the uh, sort of uniqueness of equine practice or they're the type of person who is willing to listen and take your perspective on it uh, so that that can shape the services that they provide for you. And so sometimes people sort of have a uh, one-size-fits-all kind of attitude. And so that would be something that I would be looking out for when I was talking with people, that they were asking me questions about the uh, uniqueness and the different things about equine practice that are different from, than a general business. Exactly. How about yourself, Bob? 
Well, there are a lot of great opportunities out there, a lot of different folks that uh, do consulting work or advising work, both here in the United States, but also across the globe. So there's a lot more out there than you may think. But just like when you, you know, you interview a veterinarian for to, as a potential new hire, I think you need to interview the advisor in the same fashion. Advisors tend to have different areas that they focus on that is more their expertise. And what you want to try to do is fit what your needs are with the expertise of that advisor and start to ask the questions so that if they are going to offer different types of services, try to understand if they're good at it by the questions that you ask. So really looking to try to find that right fit is well worth the time spent. And we usually, most of us find them from friends. We find them from recommendations from other places. You can also go on Google. You can search the different advisors. But the key thing, like any advisor, whether it's the practice uh, manager type advisor or a marketing type manager, really try to understand them and go onto their websites, uh, check the references, and do a little extra due diligence ahead of time. I can tell you from personal experience, about 15 years ago, we hired some advisors for my old practice, and we spent a boatload of money. And frankly, by the time we were done, we had a lot of good ideas, but we didn't know how to implement the changes. And in essence, we wasted a lot of money because we didn't do the due diligence to understand what we're getting and what the outcomes would be. So a little bit of a longer answer, Mike, but I I really liked uh, Amy's comments about trying to find somebody that's in our niche market. I think that's really, really key and helpful. You know, just I'm just thinking of both your comments, and, and this I'll ask all three of you, and that is, I'm just thinking of a practice, we're busy, uh, we're run off our feet, we have challenges, we can't keep employees on, we're investing a lot of money in marketing, but we don't seem to get the results we want. I guess the question we should ask at the very beginning is, how do you know what kind of advisor do you need? Because as you said, Bob, there is so many different areas of expertise, but I think a lot of it is sort of like as a business owner or veterinarian who hasn't used one of these before, it's kind of like a diagnosis. I'm just thinking of uh, somebody calls up and says, my horse needs their hawks injected. It's really stiff behind and you go out to the farm and it's like dead lame on the right front. And you're like, we'll get to the hawks later. We got another problem to deal with. And I, and I think this is very similar. So Katie, I'll ask you, so when you're uh, meeting with clients and you're expertise is in human resources. How do you understand what they want? Or do you have any tips that you would give somebody to help them understand that what they need is an HR problem, but maybe what they need is maybe they need better inventory management. The stress is is causing people that work in inventory to to leave a business. Mm -hmm. That's a great question, Mike. I think, like you said, it's difficult to know what you need if you are sort of just throwing darts at a dartboard blindly. But in my opinion, I think any good general business advisor should be able to ask you a number of questions as the business owner. You know, tell me about what's happening. Tell me what your issues are. What are your concerns? And they should be able to help funnel. I mean, you would hope that they would be honest enough to say, you know, this isn't necessarily my area of expertise, but I've got somebody in my network that can help you. So I would expect to be asked a number of in-depth questions, depending on what the scope is of the, the help that you need. Uh, but they should be, you know, asking a lot of questions about you. Just like Amy was saying, whether they have industry knowledge or not, they should really listen to what your challenges are and go from there. That's great. Amy, anything to add to that for what Katie said? 
Yeah, I loved what you said, Mike, about the diagnosis. And and I think that when a practice is feeling somehow that they're in trouble or they're not doing well, that going to a generalist makes sense. And oftentimes these are word of mouth, just like Bob said. So someone calls and they have a problem and that generalist can figure out whether they can help them or whether they need a different type of professional advisor. You know, the words that come out of my mouth are, that's an accountant question, or that's a question for an attorney. And then, you know, you can talk through the plan and the general ideas, but they need that specific expertise. But oftentimes it is the generalist who has to send them to the specialist. Right. To keep with the diagnosis theme, it's sort of like you're taking a history as an advisor. Mm-hmm. And that's going to help you. Bob, anything to add to that? No, and I, I think sometimes it's a little overwhelming as a practitioner because you see all the things that are going on. You run around like a chicken with your head cut off going from case to case. Yet you're, it's having, you're having a hard time managing the whole ship. And I think that sometimes you just need a confidant and someone to talk to. Some of those things can be done remotely where you just have a virtual advisor where you talk through things. One of the things I've learned is that a lot of the high-performing practices that are struggling, they're struggling because they're so focused on doing what you love, which is being a veterinarian and not on the business. If you select a, an advisor, try to get some small wins right at the beginning. Try to do a few things that can start making improvements. If you try to do too much, uh, you try to dig into too many things at one time, oftentimes you just don't have the capacity to do that. All of a sudden, there's a colic and you miss a meeting. We have a laceration repair. Something will happen. So be kind to yourself in trying to define what those expectations are with you and your advisor and take it to that level. And one of the other questions you mentioned, Mike, was what are some red flags? And I think people have to think about you have advisors that are generalists and the good generalists will know their limitation. So a red flag I would see is someone that said they could do everything. Because I think that's really, really hard for any person. I know I couldn't. Right. So it's uh, something to consider in that interview process. Are they the right fit for you? Right. Katie or Amy, do you have any other red flags that you could suggest on as a suggestion? To me, the big thing would be if somebody came in and they weren't really listening to what I was saying, and you know they had a preconceived notion of too early on what the best course of action is rather than, you know, going through things that methodically, that would be a definitely be a red flag for me. Right, right, right. I would echo that, that, you know, simply someone that already has their treatment plan before they take the history. Right. (laughs) So let's move on to accountants and bookkeepers. And so, I mean, this could be anybody from a practice owner who's trying to understand their own business, they're trying to sell the business, or associates trying to buy into the business. So I kind of look at, you have accountants, you have bookkeepers, and I would think closely aligned would be financial advisors. So Amy, let's first of all, when do you hire an accountant? When do you hire a bookkeeper? When do you hire a financial advisor? Well, I think all of these are really important, and I do a lot of work for small practices, And one of the things that I see commonly are often young veterinarians doing their own bookkeeping. And you can imagine how that turns out sometimes. 
uh, one of the things I often recommend is if that is your intention that you take a course before you start, before you get things messed up. But if bookkeeping is not being done in a very detailed and well-controlled fashion, then the accountant part of it is even more essential. But every single practice needs a good accountant. And I encourage people to meet with their accountant so that even on a quarterly basis, so that they start to understand financial statements, which most veterinarians don't. But over time, they can start to have a little bit of familiarity with it. A financial advisor, even someone just graduating from school, if they can get a relationship and pay for that relationship with a financial advisor who works for a fee, not for a commission for selling them something, that will help them tremendously in planning their financial future. Why a fee and not a commission? And I'm asking that because I know a lot of veterinarians are paid on production. And so when you're saying fee versus production or commission, why is that? Well, financial advisors that work on commission will earn commissions on particular products that they sell you. And so you want to actually pay somebody for their advice, for their professional knowledge, not for uh, buying something from them that they get paid for selling to you. Bob, so I just want to make sure, because I'm, as I'm just trying to put myself in the perspective of a young vet or a practice owner, and we were talking about accountant, we're talking about bookkeeper, uh, financial advisor. Perhaps you can just help us define, like, what does an accountant do versus what does a bookkeeper do? And where do the lines cross? Sure. A bookkeeper is fairly straightforward. They're going to uh, do all of your financial books from your revenue to your expenses to your buying equipment, and they're going to do all those transactions and link all of the financial records with your bank statements and um, payroll and accounts receivable, et cetera. So they're going to have the financial health of your whole practice. Your accountant and most accountants are of one of two types. They're either a tax accountant or a tax and a management type accountant. And so you have to have a tax accountant, someone within your state that can help you maneuver so that you can keep as much of the money that you make. Those are kind of the the key distinctions between the two. Sometimes they can be blended. Oftentimes, bookkeeping services are available through accounting firms. So those are kind of those differences. When it comes to a financial planner, that's more on the personal level. And that good personal financial advisor is going to look not only at where you are personally, but gather information on your investments like you have in your own business. If you're an owner of a practice, they could get a little bit more involved in your practice to try to better understand how you can save money, utilize money uh, for long-term gain or possibly retirement. They fill different roles. Some people are blended. It depends upon where you live. I think that when you step back, the most important person to hire right away is a really good quality bookkeeper so that your numbers are correct. And then get that bookkeeper tied in with your, your tax advisor, your CPA. But a bookkeeper to me is extremely important because most of them it's difficult to do. And they put, you want to make sure they put the expenses in the right place and they capture revenue the right way. If they don't, then all that information that you give to the accountant makes it very difficult to do your taxes. So it's something that uh, I think I feel pretty strongly about and love to hear some other thoughts. Amy, anything to add to that? I just had a quick comment that if you hire 
someone internally to do bookkeeping in your practice that you need to remember to have some separation of duties. Uh, most veterinarians, gosh, they would just like to hand it all off to somebody and not even have to look at it. You as a practice owner are responsible for making sure that no one is embezzling from you. And the best way to do that is to not allow opportunity by having separation of some duties. That's a really, really good point, Amy. A lot of times, especially when you start a practice or you're young, it's somebody who likes numbers and they just start doing your books. And that's really not, you want a really good quality bookkeeper. I'll I'll share a quick little story. When I first started practice, I didn't have a bookkeeper. And I wanted to find a bookkeeper, but I didn't really know the numbers and the financials that well. So what I did is I went to my CPA, had them interview and narrow it down to three top qualified candidates. And then I evaluated, do I get along with the person, their character, all of the personal things that are so important to make sure you have the right person. Because I, at that point in my life, didn't have the financial skills to know what to pick for a bookkeeper. So that's just maybe a tip that might help some of you, where you may have a CPA father or mother or someone that could, you know, fill that role. Because I can pick a veterinarian really well, but many years ago, I could not pick a bookkeeper or or a tax accountant. So this sort of uh, along the lines of what Amy suggested in hiring an advisor to have somebody that knows the equine industry, does your bookkeeper accountant Do they need to be familiar with the veterinary industry? What do you think, Amy? I think that what they need to know about it can be easily picked up. I think the most important thing is that attention to detail, that whatever particular account you want an expense to go in, that things stay put in the proper account so that your financial statements actually mean something. Mm -hmm. As we're talking about this, a question has just come up, and that is, Often you do see somebody internally, as Bob talked about, starts doing the financials, the bookkeeping. I often see it with people with marketing. They'll have the young person as the receptionist to say, okay, you're young. You know Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. You do the marketing. I just want to do a little bit of a, an aside here, go down a little bit of a side road though, but let's keep with you, Amy. It's like, when should people use internal resources or when should we hire outside? I think in many practices, and 53% of the practices in the AAEP are two veterinarians or less, so we're talking about a lot of people that have a small practice, they don't have the money to hire outside. But there are opportunities if you have universities or colleges near you. Sometimes they have people that are looking for internships that are getting a degree in marketing or a degree in say, accounting, that you might be able to utilize their services to set something up or do, a a, say, an internship through a summer to get a marketing plan put together that they can put on their resume. And it may be something incredibly fantastic and not cost you much at all, if anything. That's a great idea. Bob, anything to add to that? No, I think utilizing universities and looking at internships is really powerful. We hired a a gentleman that was in his middle of his MBA program at the university. He spent a summer with us and basically put together our whole barcoding system for inventory management and did a spectacular job. Now, we paid him a base amount so he could at least support himself, but it was really, uh, really, really beneficial. Yeah, great ideas. 
All right. So let's carry on down our list. So the next one I want to talk about are lawyers. Again, like business advisors, there's a lot of specialties in lawyers. This came really close to my heart. I remember oh, when I was first starting out and I was working with a practice as I was an associate and there was an opportunity for me to buy in. And I remember the lawyer they used was a university roommate. And because they're a pal, they thought, well, we'll use that person. And then when I looked them up and this, this person basically specialized in divorce law. And I was like, I don't know if he should be doing this. So let's start on the human resource uh, aspect. I know, Katie, you work with a lot of practices in different states, different provinces, different jurisdictions. What recommendations would you give to both an employer, but also an employee about the right type of lawyer to pick for HR issues? For HR issues, you definitely, you need somebody who has expertise in that particular specialty. You wouldn't want to pick somebody who's in a different jurisdiction than you and doesn't really have an idea of what the the laws are particular to your area, uh, because you can get a lot of hot water really quickly for some slight difference that doesn't seem significant or they just assume that it's the same. So, you know, I think it's just like with anyone else, any other type of professional, like we were talking about earlier, having somebody who has knowledge, I mean, not necessarily of the equine veterinary industry, but has knowledge of human resources is vital. And I think like any good lawyer, if you had a general lawyer for your practice and you came to them with an HR question, they can't handle on their own they should uh, be able to refer you to somebody else. And definitely we've seen that happen time and time again. Okay. Bob, any other recommendations for lawyers? Because again, you need them on both sides, buying, selling a practice. As Katie talked about employment law, litigation. What are your recommendations to hire the right lawyer for your needs? What I would suggest as you grow is I would always have at least a minimum of two lawyers that you have a relationship with. One is your business lawyer. And the second is one that only does employment law and HR law. What I have found, at least over the years, is that those that specialize in that area, usually they cost you a little bit more, but they save you a lot more because they don't have to look things up and it's right on the tip of their tongue. So as you go forward, those would be the two that I would look for. Timing of it kind of depends on your practice. You definitely have to have your corporate lawyer, and they may be able to help you a little bit or refer to someone within their firm. But I would want to build the relationship with two of those, you know, as your practice continues to grow. Amy, what would you like to add to that? I think that it's really important that we think about it, uh, attorneys, in the same way we think about veterinarians. There are generalists and there are specialists, and every practice should have a relationship with a generalist who will then refer them to specialists, especially all those small practices, right? It's really great to have a relationship, somebody that you can call with a quick question and say, do I need to worry about this? And you wouldn't pick a racetrack practitioner to look at your, you know, like you, Mike, that to help your mare <laughs> and get her ready for breeding. Same thing is true in law. Right, Okay. Any red flags? Again, I always want to get to that because I've worked in my own practice with a couple of lawyers before. And, you know, you'll see the ones. And I've, I remember one that had a great reputation was wrote articles in veterinary journals in, in Canada and just didn't seem right for us. Like, it was always seemed like we were the last priority. And uh, honestly, we were paying our bills on time. So it wasn't that. 
almost like the person got too busy to be able to handle his caseload. So anybody, uh, Bob or Amy or, or Katie, any suggestions of like, when you start to see this, get your spidey sense up. This is not right. Amy. You know, Mike, I've had an experience with helping a practice owner try to sell shares to associates. And she was working with an attorney that she'd worked with for quite some time. That attorney was so on her side that the paperwork that came out was so much imbalance toward the owner and so unfair to the new potential partners that the deal didn't go through. It was really hard to be working through this. We'd been working on it for six months. And of course, the practice owner had trust in this attorney that she had a relationship with. And so that's something to sort of think about fairness, that mm-hmm. you you want to make sure that your attorney is able to see the perspective of the other side. And that's what negotiation is all about, is fairness and having uh, both sides gain something. Yeah. Bob, anything to add to that? Because I know you've been involved in a lot of those situations as well as some clients. Yeah, I think the thing you always want to think about when you're working with attorneys is always ask the question, who are they working for? Are they working for the company or are they working for an individual? Because it's usually one of the two. One of the things that's worked well and some of the things that I've done with helping people buy in or sell practice is we find a brand new attorney. And what we do is we find a new attorney to do the deal, basically. And when you do that, that attorney is working for the company in the best interest of both of the parties that are trying to do the deal. And that has been extremely successful. And what attorneys are great at is asking questions so they can try to help you. What's nice and will save you a lot of money in a lot of these negotiations is to sit back and think of all the things that could go well, could go wrong, and work on that with the person that you're doing the deal with. Try to have all those questions answered and have talked about some of those more sensitive items before you go to the attorney and then give the attorney, here's what we want to do. Can you help fine tune it and make it better? If you don't approach it that way, oftentimes you'll have multiple attorneys going back and forth. And I think that's a little bit of what uh, Amy was talking about. And then what happens is it costs each one of you a lot of money and you don't get the deal done because the attorneys are trying to do the best for their client, not for the mutual gain of both parties. And that's where you just kind of you know, step back, have those discussions with the attorneys because they can be incredibly helpful. But you want that type of attorney that's going to work to get the deal done, not to be obstructive. Bob, I was just thinking of uh, some situations that I've involved with, and uh, I'll keep with you, though. So when people are looking to hire an attorney, there are fees that you pay a senior lawyer, a junior lawyer, and to a certain degree, you get that with accounting firms as well. How do you determine or know you're getting the, the best price, or how do you talk about price when you're hiring these individuals? Great question, Mike. What I usually do, let's, let's take an attorney, for example. If I'm going to go hire an attorney, I call them and say, I would like to interview you. And those are the candid discussions you have when you interview them. What is the fee? How do they structure it? And then what can they do for you to try to keep this as cost-effective as possible? In the interview process, I do that with CPAs. I do that with lawyers, um, et cetera. When it comes to doing a transaction or a, a larger project, what I try to do is set up what are those expenses expected to be? And then let's hit a threshold not to exceed. 
So maybe putting together operating agreements or a buy-sell agreement is going to cost me $7,000 or $10,000. Well, if you don't have those discussions ahead of time, you may all of a sudden have a $15,000 bill. Because by talking about the money in a tiered type example that you just gave, Mike, they may shift how they do it. It's always nice to have a senior person, CPA or attorney in an oversight role for sure. But a lot of times you can get just as good a product by using some of their younger associates and they want to do that too. You have to set the expectations and price is one of them. So it's sort of like the, you know, the senior vet in a practice and you're trying to bring the junior associate. You don't want to be that customer that just says, I want the senior vet because the, the junior vets actually, they're probably the most current with the, the law, actually, because they just finished school or closer to it than somebody that graduated maybe 30 years ago. So I think there's some parallels there. Last category, and Katie, I need some help with you on this one. And that mm-hmm. is everybody's trying to hire people, whether it's veterinarians, great technicians, support staff, what have you. And so I look on some of the Facebook groups, practice management, equine groups, what have you, and people start talking about recruiters. And there's a lot of, I'm going to say outright uh, suspicion bordering on hostility about recruiters. We're both smiling as I'm saying this because I know you've done a lot of recruiting for people. You're not a recruiter per se, but you've done a lot of recruiting to higher positions. So talk to us about your experience with recruiters. And I can share some of mine because I I used a recruiter in last year. Uh, I'm still using one to hire veterinarians. So let's start with you, though. Definitely. So I think recruiters tend to get a bad rap. Uh, I think part of it is because of the practices that they use to try and find people, you know, like they actively go after people, you know, they're trolling LinkedIn, they're reaching out to people. So I think from a practice owner perspective, you're a bit wary of these people because, you know, if you hire somebody, uh, you know, you think to yourself, has this person tried to take somebody away from my practice in the past? So there's sort of a bit of a suspicion that goes on with that. And I think um, just the way that they really they're salespeople. So they're always looking for a lead and that, you know, that kind of behavior rubs some people the wrong way for sure. So I think that that's, that's part of the, the, the con or the rub that goes along with recruiting and why they, they tend to be, uh, you know, not necessarily everybody's first choice, but there are definitely some pros that go along with using a recruiter as well. So talk to us about some of those pros. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing is if you're able to find a recruiter and they are out there, find a recruiter who specializes in veterinary staff, they're going to have a great network. So, you know, from my perspective as an HR consultant, you know, I know a lot of people, but I don't know every single veterinarian that's looking for work. But recruiters, it's their job to know that kind of information. So, you know, they'll actively, um, you know, reach out to people. They'll say, hey, let's talk definitely part of what you're paying for with a recruiter is having access to that network of people. So that's a definite pro. And you tend to pay for what you get. So you're paying for all of that knowledge, you're paying for all of that time that they take looking for people on your behalf. And the nice thing is, as much as they're expensive, and that's a definite con, you know, a, a recruiter's fee is generally anywhere from 15 to 35% of somebody's first year salary. You can think if you're hiring somebody who's coming in at $100,000 a year, you're going to be paying quite a chunk of that to a recruiter, uh, but often they'll have a guarantee. So if the person doesn't work out, there's some sort of refund that's there, uh, or they take on 
the risk of that person's for say the, the first six months. Uh, and sometimes, you know, they even, you know, you pay the recruiter or you pay the recruitment firm and they pay the person. So they're not even on your payroll necessarily in that introductory period. So that can be a pro. But I think just like any of the other professionals we've been talking about today, having somebody who understands your culture and understands what you're looking for is just so key. And when you're essentially ceding control to this person and they're reaching out to people on your behalf, you want to know that they're portraying your uh, practice in a positive or in the way that you want it to be portrayed so that they understand your values, they understand the culture, they understand exactly what you're looking for. Otherwise, you could be set up with 30 candidates, which might be a bit of a wishful thinking as we're trying to hire veterinarians anywhere right now. But you might be set up with all these people and they're like, great, we've got these people and you can do your first interview with them and you've wasted your time because none of them are suitable. So uh, I think that's a big consideration as well, just like with any other professional, how much do they understand the industry and, and do they understand exactly what you are looking for? Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I know last year uh, we were looking to hire uh, veterinarians like everybody else was and a recruiter cold called me. And at first I sort of was dismissive and I was like, I'm not going to pay 20 to 35% or what have you. And I was like very indignant and I huffed and puffed a lot. But then I sort of cooled down. I'm like, so how has looking for a vet on our own worked for us so far? And how much is that costing our business, not having a vet going out and doing work? How much is it costing our veterinarians that exist already who are being worked to the bone because they don't have help? And how expensive is it going to be when one of them leaves because they're tired or burnt out? And then when I had that sort of you know light shone on it, that context, I was like, it is actually pretty reasonable. And, you know, with this one recruiter, she was able to find four veterinarians for us because what you said, it's her network. She had an incredible network. And initially, uh, I would say the first, uh, let's say, handful of vets, there was one or two that were okay. But when she realized what we were looking for, what our culture was, the type, she would say, I've got these three candidates. I don't think they're right for you, but I'm sharing anyhow. Mm-hmm. And she got us. And w- we were able to negotiate a, a six-month guarantee. And so one of the vets, full candor, you know, left within that six months. And that was fine. It wasn't a good fit. You know, and we were hiring through Zoom. So we figured if we got 75% of them right just hiring through Zoom, we're doing okay. And right now, this recruiter is working tirelessly trying to find a replacement. And all I could think about was like, I'm so glad we went down that road because it's made the biggest difference. We would not be where we are right now. Bob or Amy, have you had any experience working with recruiters at all? I can add a little bit to that, Mike. You brought up a point about you negotiated you know, a guarantee in six months. I think that's really an important thing to do. And when you work with any recruiter, look at how they're paid, how it's structured, because a lot of times you can negotiate with them. When I did the first couple of times I tried this, I didn't try to negotiate at all. And that was, you know, shame on me and it cost a lot of money. Also, you know, we're talking about recruiters for veterinarians. There are a lot of recruiters for other different types of services, whether it's your bookkeeper, your CPA, lawyers, all of those. So you can think about it in a lot of different lights. One comment I wanted to make out to the group, which I didn't do well in earlier in my career, but we've been doing it much better now, is realize you have a wealth of connections with the people that work for you. And really make sure that we tr- you try to get the staff involved in helping you find someone. 
And I can share a fun example. We just hired two new veterinarians and without a recruiter, where we got that recruiters, we just built the brand awareness through social media that we had openings. And then we found a connection between one of our staff and the individual for one position and then another person who used to be in the practice. We reached out to him and said, hey, do you have any suggestions? And he had an option for us. So think about people that have worked for you, have not worked for you, people that could help you rather than feeling like you're on an isolated island as an owner trying to figure out where to find the next hire because uh, that is really, really hard. So my experience with recruiters, I don't think is as extensive as yours is, Mike. I think it can be a really good option, but I also think there are ways too that maybe you can still find it through your own networks that maybe you really haven't pursued. I, I can say one thing though. I, as I said, I was you know, I'm used to working with an accountant, used to working with a lawyer, not used to working for a recruiter. And what helped ease my concerns was I asked her for references, other vet practices, other vet practices in my area as well too. Uh, and so even though these were companion animals, you can still talk to them and get a sense of how accommodating was the person, how honorable were they, what were the qualities of the candidates that they sent. And you know, this one in particular got glowing reviews. So I was happy to, uh, to hire her. So. Have we covered everything we're supposed to. I am just looking at it. We talked about business advisors. We've talked about financial uh, people, whether it's advisors, accountants, bookkeepers, lawyers, recruiters. What are we missing? Or have we covered it all? Amy? We'd just like to say with regard to recruiters, which I have no experience with altogether, but people that don't have the funds to use a recruiter, perhaps. One of the things that Andy Clark said to me many years ago has always stuck with me. And he said, if you ever receive amazing service from someone out in your daily life, whether it's a barista or whoever has given you incredible service, that you should always hand them your business card and say, you know, if you're ever looking for employment, please give me a call because mm -hmm. I might have something for you. Yeah. And for those very small practices, this can be really helpful. I remember hearing that as well, too. Great points. Well, I want to thank you all very much. Great insights. I know whether you're a practice owner or an associate practice manager, there's some gems in here. I want to thank Behringer Engelheim for sponsoring this podcast. And I would actually say some of the best people to know who, what's going on and who's available are your reps. And so when you're Behringer Engelheim, the rep is around next and you're looking for a receptionist or a tech or whoever, they have pretty good pipelines, so uh, work with them. Anyway, Amy, Bob, Katie, thank you very, very much. Uh, appreciate your time, and uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you, Mike, and uh, everybody have a great spring and busy season, and stay safe. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Beringer Engelheim knows that every veterinary professional in practice has a wide variety of needs. That's why our equine veterinary technical solutions team, our VETS team, is here to provide education, product, and veterinary expertise, exceptional customer care, and regulatory stewardships. Our mission is to lead our veterinary community in technical knowledge and build a long-lasting relationship with our customers. To get in contact with one of our team members, please call us at 888 637 4251.